Hello there. My name is Tom Chick, and you are listening to the Quarter to Three Movie Podcast for The Hobbit. Howard Shore's stirring, unforgettable, iconic score. Enjoy that. Cocoon the Return, right? Ah, he has so many notes, so many tones, so many shores. I am here this week with, uh, in addition to that fellow that was speaking, we also have with us Christian Bertovsky. Uh, It's actually Christian the Green. (laughs) What? I think that might, maybe that's a reference to one of the other two ones. I don't know. Don't save that for the podcast. Uh, and with a tagline, Kelly Wand. A Hobbit tagline, by the way. I should specify, not just any tagline. Specific to the Hobbit, here's Kelly Wand. Long expected cash in. Hmm. All right. <laughs> You're such a tough room with us now. I, I, I didn't, Kelly Wand, I truthfully, as God is my witness, I did not know if it was over. What? The tagline. Okay, wait, wait. Uh, you make me feel yeah, bad. Uh, very, very well done. Wait, wait. Uh, uh, pretty fast butterfly, huh, guys? How's that? Is that a tone? That's good. Well, that's, that's kind of a spoiler, though. Before we get into spoilers, we don't want to spoil anything about The Hobbit, because maybe you haven't seen it, and you are going to see it. Uh, stick around for a moment, because we're going to talk spoiler-free. Uh, Dingus, how would you uh, explain this movie to someone who uh, doesn't want to know anything, doesn't want any part of it ruined? How would you tell them what we did this week? All right, well, this week we saw The Hobbit, colon, An Unexpected Journey, Mm. a 2012 epic fantasy adventure animated 3D high frame rate prequel movie (laughs) about a little dude going on an adventure with a bunch of slightly less little dudes and one tall dude. It was directed by Peter Jackson and written by him with Fran Walsh, Philippa Boyens, and Guillermo del Toro, Mm. based on J.R. Tolkien's novel, The Hobbit. Mm. It stars James Nesbitt. The Hobbit, (laughs) AUJ, is rated PG-13 for extended sequences of intense fantasy action violence. (sighs) Harsh. The extended edition. And frightening images. <laughs> I mean, hmm. uh, Dingus, what was that AUJ? I didn't understand what you did. What was that? The acronymed. Oh, Jesus, Pete! I can't even. I see the Hobbit AUJ. I, I just now got that. It Were you thinking the word "ouge" during? You could also call it "fouge." <laughs> yeah, "fouge." Oh, guys. Oh, thou- okay. I'm fouge. understanding did this. You, did you guys see "fouge" through the forty? Wait, four a for CG. Thirteen. Okay, I give up. So, and a, a lot of people would answer in the affirmative to that question because it was no, it was number one at the box office this week. No way! It beat uh, it beat playing for keeps. Yeah, uh, the oh. new Gerard Butler film. I, I actually, well, I'll get into that in a minute. Speaking of Gerard <laughs> Butler, uh, so um, it made eighty-five million, which is a record for a December opening. Uh, previously, it was actually this was surprising to me. The previous record holder, record holder, porno. Uh, the previous record holder for a movie that opened in December was oddly enough 2007's I Am Legend. Huh? Wait, why? Is that, uh, why did you say that was like oh, ironically? 
I don't know about irony, but unexpected. I did not figure, I would have figured that surely, I, I think the thing is with the holidays, people go to movies, but not the same way they go to movies in the summer. Uh, this is the season for a lot of uh, award hopeful releases. Um, uh, they always go on Christmas. They always go, Avatar was a Christmas one. Christmas is the other summer. It's the summer away from summer. No, yeah, but Avatar? they don't usually put like tentpole movies around Christmas. You know? Yeah, wait, Avatar opened. Avatar, <laughs> Avatar was like Thanksgiving, wasn't it? Okay, well, that's different than a December release, so that's why I was... Thanksgiving's like the week before December, so you're talking about a seven-day difference, release day-wise. Kelly, my point was I'm surprised that the, the highest-grossing opening ever for a December release was I Am Legend. <laughs> I just didn't know that that did that well. It had a $77 million opening. Hobbit, uh, I wouldn't say blew it out of the water, scooched past it, we'll say. With an $85 million opening. Uh, now, here's an interesting thing about the opening of The Hobbit. That's more than Return of the King made until you adjust for inflation <laughs> and and the 3D uh, premium, the, the cost of an the additional cost of a 3D showing. Uh, if you take those out, uh, I don't think it would beat uh, Return of the King. Uh, but so there you go. So so a lot of people. So a lot of people. Uh, a lot of people saw it. It did fairly well. Uh, if we look at how it did on Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic, it's Kelly Wan's favorite part of the podcast. Uh, <laughs> on Rotten Tomatoes, which gauges the percentage of reviews that are positive, The Hobbit is at 65%. So 30, 35% of reviewers were like, yeah, yeah, I didn't like it. Uh, on Metacritic, which rates, which gives the average rating from reviews that use some sort of a rating, The Hobbit is at 58 Wow. <laughs> what were the Lord of the Rings movies at? Like 99s? Right? Yeah, yeah, the Lord of the Rings movies were great uh, critical successes. Uh, so. I'm starting to think the numbers actually are onto something. <laughs> this week. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so there we go. Let's now get into some spoiler territory. We have all seen The Hobbit Aj. Uh, if you want to avoid spoilers, uh, I should warn you, they will be forthcoming because Kelly Wand is now going to synopsize everything that happened in the movie with a, I think you called it already, I think you, you let slip this one, Kelly Wand. I believe this week we are treated to a hobsis. Mm, after having seen it, I retconned that to The Hobbit and Unexpected Jerpsis. <laughs> I like that way better. Let's let's hear that. Rock and roll. Let's have an unexpected jerpsis. Old goddamn robot from Alien Bilba's sitting at his roll-top desk in the Shire and writes, <laughs> Well, Frodo, I know I told you some of my adventures, but after Lovely Bones came out, I realized I'd left out all of them. Frodo waves to him from an armchair. Hey, Uncle Bilbo, I think I live here with you, so you don't have to write it out. You can just tell me. <laughs> It's already going better. Also, you've only had one adventure. Pretty sure we've covered every CG Deus Ex Machina you bore witness to. Uh, barely enough for one movie. Bilbo's all, I certainly gave that dragon what for, verbally anyway. Yeah, well, you were invisible. Then it pissed him off, and he wiped out a whole town. Then some guy I've never heard of killed it with a single arrow, because dragon scale Achilles heel something... Bilbo's all, well, there were no heels around when I got captured repeatedly by those three trolls. Bert and those other two, Daryl and Daryl. Frodo's all, speaking of which, so the eagles count as three Machinas, but zero of the five armies, right? 
Bilbo's all, Ha, you tweenagers in your math. Well, laddie, I still use my wits to win that riddle game against that balding homeless person in the cave. <laughs> that was iconic. Ha, to keep its pants up. 600 years old, and he thought he could bitch me with that chestnut. Frodo's all, dude, what's in my pocket? That's not even a riddle. It's like saying pick a number between 1 and 10, make sure you're a grandmaster at chess. <laughs> Bilbo's all, ha, analogies. My true plan was to turn one of my pockets inside out and ask him to kiss a one-eared elephant. But I guess I'd sustained quite a concussion or two in one of those thousand-foot falls. Ha, proud feet falls. Speaking of which, I was thinking you're right about the title. There and back again's a spoiler, so I'm changing it to All the Dwarves Live Except for the Dickish One. <laughs> Frodo's all... Actually, you know what? Fuck it. Go ahead and write it out. Take your time, even. I'm just going to lie here and smoke some of this shit Radagast sold me that he pinched out at Bombadil's beard. Weird how none of us Bagginses has a single love interest, even though our family's supposed to be huge, huh? Bilbo shakes his head affectionately, dips his pen in the inkstand, falls asleep, sputters awake, and writes in 3D calligraphy music voiceover, In a hole in the ground there lived a hobbit. He looks up smiling nostalgically as we swizzle up his nostril and into his brain as it tasted 60 years earlier, when he looked like Tim from The Office. I was smoking a pipe of donut-shaped CG on my doorstep one day when a ratty old codger showed up one day and went, Hey man, I know we've never met before, but want to go on an adventure with me and 14 midgets? It's super far and fraught with peril, but let's face it, a hobbit hole doesn't mean comfort. Bilbo's all, Yeah, you're the fireworks salesman? Gandalf's all, I am Gandalf, and Gandalf means me. Bilbo's all, That's cool pronouns. He sold me. What do I have to do? Gandalf saw. Well, the hard part's the endless commute and singing. All we need from you is to go into a dragon's cave and talk him into giving you all his treasure and leaving without incinerating anybody. Your share's one fourteenth. We leave at dawn. Dinner on you. Ready? Bilbo's all. Hmm. Adventure, eh? I can see why you thought of me instead of Farty Bulger or Mayor McCheese down the road. But I think I'll pass. Now get the fuck off my porch. Bilbo squirts him with his hose, euphemisms, and throws some bricks at his head. But Gandalf knows what's up, so he scrapes some magical paint off of his staff onto Bilbo's door, just enough so the dwarves can see it from miles away. That night at five-minute intervals, 14 dwarves show up in seven groups of two with rhyming names, except for Bomber, because he's the fat one. <laughs> and ate his twin in the womb. <laughs> They all eat Bilbo out of house and home, but since they're great warriors, they can also wash dishes like Tom Cruise and Cocktail. <laughs> they sing songs, one a ditty about what a piece of shit their host is, then a B-side track about how a dragon dispossessed them from their homeland because they're not great warriors after all. But in the second verse, how they're optimistic about reclaiming it, because this time they have a hobbit, and the grandson of the king that an albino orc beheaded in an unrelated incident. <laughs> or the son. I wasn't listening. This <laughs> <laughs> is going better than expected. Better than expected opsis. They try to get Bilbo to sign a contract waiving all his rights, and at first he's skeptical. But next day his hole is so clean, he misses it being full of dwarf. So he runs all the way past Farmer Mushroom's maggot farm and catches up with them. 
One of the dwarves throws Gandalf a bag of Isildur pennies. Gandalf salt. They said you'd puss out. <laughs> I, was, I was just picturing Christopher Tolkien listening to this with headphones on and drinking tea as he dies. <laughs> <laughs> this is the last thing he hears. If you it's if you crazy. stop right now, he'll finish it for you. Uh, what if I just met it? Because I'm uh, never mind. The first night out, Gandalf and Thorin get into a crank off. Thorin's all, "You said he'd make us dinner every night, and why do you get map custody? You're always taken off for no reason." Gandalf's all, "Hey, I'm not a conjurer of cheap tricks." Thorin's all, "Yeah, they do magic. How many dragons you killed again?" Gandalf's all, "In the future, I slay a Balrog." Thorin's all, "Yeah, by dying." Gandalf's all, just for that, I'm out of here, and I'm taking your map with me. Thorin cackles disgustedly. That map's fucking useless. I threw it in the river. Gandalf lights a magic snake from his fireworks set and tries to stamp off in the smoke, but falls down some rocks. The dwarves camp for the night and eventually notice two of the ponies are missing. They're all Bomber, but Bomber's just gnawing on some dryad turds. Bilbo and the dwarf with the beard crash through the pine needles and follow the scent of three cave trolls sitting around a campfire eating beans and arguing comically. Bilbo's all, wow, how come the troll in Moria didn't talk? Bashful's all, same reason R2 doesn't fly over the lake in Dagobah. Now get in there and kill him and get our ponies back. Earn your 14 for once. Live a little by dying. Bilbo's all, oh, I thought you guys were supposed to be these badass warriors, but Tyrion's all, go! So Bilbo goes in and gets captured, and the trolls threaten to kill him unless the dwarves give up and let themselves get cooked alive on an open spit. So they do. But luckily the sun rises and turns the trolls to stones. <sighs> Gandalf shows up a few minutes later, wheezing. Behold, the, the sun used my magic on that rock. <laughs> <laughs> he sees the dwarves already checking out a bunch of swords in the cave and goes, I get the long one. <laughs> Bilbo's all, wow, these are the greatest elf blades ever forged, and they're just a stone's throw from the Shire in the possession of three brain-dead fuckwads? Who wrote this shit? Gandalf gives him an elvish bottle opener and goes, here, halfwit, I know you don't know how to use it, but just remember not using it, or using it wrongly, is the pathway to true courage. Warwick Davis is all, where you been this time? Gandalf's all, with this guy, Radagast, the beige. He reveals a mangy hobo covered in mold. The dwarves all recoil, vomiting. Orko's all, I thought when you said he was mostly batshit, you meant psychologically. Gandalf bops Radagast on the head with his staff. Tell him what you told me. Epic their asses. Radagast goes, uh, In Nerdwood, I found a dead hedgehog. They all wait. He peels some slime off his tongue. Could really use a booster hit. Uh, Gandalf closes his eyes and passes his meerschaum. Radagast coughs smoke out of his urethra and goes, Then I use my magic to cower in my tree shanty from some CG silhouettes. Meant to write a song about it, but... Uh, extended edition, maybe. Nobody says anything. Eventually, Gandalf applauds and gestures for the dwarves to join in. They comply half-heartedly. Bilbo raises two fingers. Hey, could you drop me off at home on your way back? Don't know how you got here. Radagast gestures to his twin sleigh harnesses. They disappear down Bomber's gullet, and he shits out the first two rabbit skeletons. Bomber's all, what? Did you like that, Dingus? The epic quest continues. They reach Rivendell, where the elves welcome them by prancing around them on horseback aggressively for a few minutes. <laughs> Gandalf's all, hey, look who it is, and pulls a curtain sash to reveal the Matrix guy and Kate Blanchett. 
Bilba zips up sadly. No live, huh? Thorin steps forward regally, his windswept taint shimmering with computer-generated dignity. I am Thorin, son of Thorin. My mother's name is irrelevant. I know we came all this way so you can read my map, but now that we're here, my pride is o-weaning. I'm also a little puzzled why we didn't just have the eagles drop it off here or bring you to... Gandalf snatches the map away and hands it to Matrix. He stares at it elvishly. Moon runes. Read a bull only at 48 frames per second. (laughs) (laughs) And also only by the exact same moonlight by which they were inscribed. (laughs) Luckily, tonight works. Gandalf saw, what did they say, huh? Matrix reads, When the bird picks the rock, you're at the dragon's cave. Also look for signs of brimstone, scorched suits of armor, and scaled shit. These are all signs you're on the right track, huh, dwarves? Everyone goes to sleep, except for Gandalf, who heads for the garage and sits in front of Kate Blanchett with his back to her so they can have an ESP conversation. Gandalf, voiceovers. I think the necromancer's doing shit. Galadriel's voiceover saw. Hey, your dwarves are hightailing it right now, and we didn't notice, and we're not going to do anything about it, and this was my whole cameo, and I used telepathy in this, but not in Crystal Skull, even though I was supposed to be psychic and that. Gandalf opens his eyes wisely as she scowls and brusquely grabs her check out of Peter Jackson's thong. The travelogue trudges onward. Though their hearts are as big as their stature, our heroes get caught in a bad storm while trying to cross a curious gorge. But luckily, the cliffs turn out just to be stone giants throwing their own body parts at each other for no reason. Gandalf skips out again, and the dwarves all get captured by goblins, but Bilbo tricks them by them not seeing him for some reason, then falling thousands of miles into a bottomless pit, then stealing some jewelry, then cheating a cannibal. Then discovering the trinket he found makes him invisible. Then leaving. He almost stabs the cannibal in the back with his sword, but remembers Gandalf's arbitrary injunction from weeks ago and settles for jumping off his victim's face and driving him so insane for years that he gets tortured by orcs and eventually leads to a bunch of people dying and wars starting in the Shire getting invaded by Nazgul. <sighs> Meanwhile, the dwarves all get captured a few more times, but luckily Gandalf shows up again out of nowhere with a huge sword in his hand. The Goblin King's all, What are you going to do now, wizard? Gandalf slices open his belly while all the goblins watch and do nothing. Gandalf turns to the dwarves and goes, True courage is knowing when not to spare a life. Pick up your swords there and fight. They siege and fall, Fiji and Saul, and eventually wind up on a burning tree over a cliff's edge while wargs and orcs, wait, wargs and arcs, led by the one-armed albino, taunt them but don't attack for minutes on end. Bilbo and Thorin both lead one-man suicide charges, but don't die. Luckily, a butterfly shows up, then leaves while the orcs and flames wait impatiently, then returns with a bunch of eagles. The fly the dwarves and Gandalf a few hundred feet, while the orcs shake their fists and sing songs of frustration. Bilbo's all, hey, can't the eagles just carry us all the way to Lonely Mountain? Gandalf's all, look, I'm not a miracle worker. Thorin scowls at Bilbo. You ditch us even more than the wizard, and just now you almost died, throwing your life away for nothing, right after I did the same thing. Thorin hugs him. This must be the end of the movie. I won't belittle you on screen for another year. Bilbo's all, well, the best parts of the book are behind us. What's left? Floating barrels, quarreling over the gold, Bjorn... They all look at Peter Jackson sitting on a tombstone that says Tolkien and with one of his hairy feet on a skeleton in front of it as it moaningly tries to roll over. 
He gives them all a thumbs up. The Eye of Warner Brothers blazes over him. He's all, seven movies about Farmer Giles? The Eye's all, ten. Peter Jackson cringes, whatever Master wants is... Bilbo raises his sword, glowing greenly to us, and goes, Now this is what I call the opposite of a cliffhang, the end. <laughs> Thank you, Kelly Wand. <clears throat> Dingus, as this podcast's, uh, I think, earliest champion for those Hobbit movies, you go first. How did this Hobbit movie work for you? Was this a Hobbit movie? I couldn't tell. Yeah, because I, I, I have a weird background with these. I, I saw the Lord of the Rings movies, didn't care for them. It took a while before they really worked for me, so I don't consider myself much of an authority. You, but I believe, were, were on board with the Hobbit movies all along. Um, so here we go. We've had those. Now we have this. What's your reaction to it? Uh, I immediately loved the, uh, the, the first Hobbit movie, The Fellowship of the Ring. Loved it mm-hmm. immediately. I was taken from the first frame of it. Absolutely swept away by it. I freaking hate this movie. Freaking hate it. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm in. I hate it. I can't believe that this is what they wound up with. Really? So what is wrong with you people? What happens, Dingus? That a guy who uh, is such a huge fan of the other of the Lord of the Rings. What's your problem with the Hobbit? Uh, it is one movie, and it feels like too much, but, too too little butter spread on bread. I don't know. I think it's mm. horrible. It's horrible. Oh my horrible god! And, and freaking hate it. Go ahead. Sorry. And you know, part of the problem. I don't know if part of the problem is that I saw it in the high frame rate version, which looks utterly terrible, um, or that I just feel like I'm watching. Uh, Cutscenes or something from a Zemeckis movie, or I don't know what the Ouch. problem is. Um, but I, I, you know, I'm not one. You know, you've talked it at length, and I and I really respect this view of yours, Tom, about you know who cares if an adaptation is true to the original work. Uh, the movie is the movie, and let's just watch it as a movie. So all the little things that are added or, or messed with, uh, I generally don't care about that too much anymore. Except in this case where I feel like so much has been pounding, it's just being pounded into this movie to make it into three movies. And it's just unnecessary. It easily could have been one movie. Uh, we've all read The Hobbit. I, I assume we love it. I know you do, Tom. I know I do. Um, or loved it in our youth. And it easily could have been one movie, and other people have done that. There's no reason to... To stretch it into three movies, and you just feel it's just painful. It is so painful and slow, and I'm so mad at this. (laughs) Kelly Wan, can you rise to the occasion to defend this movie from Dingus's wrath? Oh, that's on me. (laughs) Can you do it? Are you Uh, up for it? A guy at work whose bar is really low, like he reads Warhammer novels, was re- he reread The Hobbit last month, and he said it didn't hold up for him. And he said that like the Hobbits have pharmacies and football and butchers, so it's like super anachronistic. It's like they're all modern, so it's like Planet of the Apes, kind of. Is that what you meant by defend it? If that's the best you can do, that's the best you can do, Kelly Wand. Uh... I think he's not. Uh... I think Jackson is not a full money shitbag like George Lucas, but I think he's entering Spielberg territory and so fully infused with the commerce culture that he can't tell he's not an artist anymore. Okay, that's pretty that's pretty damning. It's uh, my yeah. defense. <laughs> the Hobbit. Uh, all right, I'll I'll accept that. Um, yeah, it's, no, go ahead. I was just gonna say it's like 
Dingus invokes Fellowship of the Ring. It's like this movie. It's tr- it's like Phantom Menace for Fellowship of the Ring because it's like there's like a Moria that he tries to rip off for it, but it's so. It's just it makes you yearn for how it used to look. I don't know that I would go so far as to call it a Phantom Menace because I really don't think George Lucas. I, I never thought he was a very good filmmaker. I mean, Star Wars is amazing, and I love certain things about it. But uh, the fact that he turned it over to other people who did better things with it, I just don't think George Lucas was ever a good filmmaker. I do feel that Peter Jackson was at some point a, a very good filmmaker. Uh, and I think you can see a lot of that in the Lord of the Rings movies. But I get no inkling of that here. Uh, this Working Kong apologists. But so what broke him? This movie feels to me like a contractual obligation. Now, I don't doubt that he loves The Hobbit. I don't doubt that a lot of uh, care and work went into it. But like Dingus mentions, I I think part of what kills it, The Hobbit is a great little self-contained adventure, and trying to draw it out into three movies is just anathema to this. It is so slow. It is so poorly paced. It feels so forced where they're putting in these weird story beats and the action sequences. Uh, And and I think... looking at it's almost it inverts what made lord of the rings ultimately work for me i love those three movies um and and some of the two of the things that i love about those movies were inverted in the hobbit and i think they're instrumental to what kills this movie for me one of the things that's amazing about lord of the rings is that it it is so generous with its scenery and and specifically with the different types of characters you have in the movie. You know, you have Frodo, Legolas, Gandalf, Boromir, Aragorn, Gimli, Galadriel. Even then you get to the, the sort of the ancillary characters like Denethor, Faramir, Eomer, uh, you know, Elrond, Liv Tyler. Like, there's there's something for everyone as, as far as the cast of the characters. And it's huge and expansive and generous. And yet, on the other hand, it has this real simple clarity of purpose, as it moves through all of these characters, it's about getting this doodad to this place. And everything falls into place around that one simple objective. Now, this gets completely flipped in The Hobbit, where you have one type of character, a bumbling little person. Uh, and, uh, you know, that, that, that generous cast that has something for everyone and, and some great showcases for actors in Lord of the Rings, there's nothing here. You know, it, it, it's, it's noteworthy that the one actor who sort of gets lost, whose performance gets lost behind the makeup in Lord of the Rings is poor, uh, John Reese Davies because he's got all that dwarf stuff on his face. You can't really see what he's doing. All of them are like that here. These, these little yeah. bumbling dwarves. They're all three here. They're, they're all 3PO, yeah, and they've all got wacky haircuts or these huge prosthetic noses and crazy beards. And uh, I, I only, I recognize James Nesbitt, and Dingus, you mentioned this when you were listing the cast members. He was the only guy I recognized. I had no idea who any of the other guys were. I, I couldn't have cared less. I actually spent a fair bit of the movie thinking that Thorin was Gerard Butler. Uh, I really was like, is that Gerard? No, I don't think. Oh, wait, is it? Maybe. Uh, so I, here you just have the one type of character substituting all these great, this, this great generous cast in Lord of the Rings. And then furthermore, what should have been a simple tale and, and what basically is in the story of just hobbits trying to reclaim, I'm sorry, dwarves trying to reclaim their homeland and one little reluctant guy being swept up along with this. 
I don't. It, it starts faffing about with all of this setup for the Lord of the Rings stuff, you know, uh, all of it. This like White Council meeting that they have, and all of that just so confuses everything. And like, why do the orcs want to stop them? And and then having this one guy's backstory with the one-handed orc, it, it's just all so confused, and it loses that clarity that drove through all three movies of, of Lord of the Rings. Um, and it so, just becomes tedious. It's. Yeah, that white I, council meeting you're talking about is is utter tedium. God, well, and and I I got the sense too. I mean, I, you talk about contractual obligations to draw this into three movies. I got the sense it's like, well, we need to have uh, Kate Blanchett back before Christopher Lee dies. Let's get him in a scene. Uh, but if they're gonna have them use him, like if they're gonna retcon anyway, fucking have him fight or something. Well, and I even wondered, are we supposed to know at this point if Saruman is turned? Because I don't know. I, I would have liked that bit of information to be part of that scene. Um, I don't know the answer to that, and, and I, I think there could have been a little drama there that they didn't play with. Or they didn't I didn't try to read his mind, either, even though he's saying all the wrong things. I'm like, yeah, it's probably nothing. Is he turned, Kelly Wand? You're our, you're our. Uh... Yeah, and he uses Radagast. He's like his patsy, I think. In the and I like the Radagast stuff actually. That was something that I wasn't. That's not from the books. That they just kind of invented. That seemed kind of organic oh, feeling. You didn't like that it, compared it's to really uh, shit. I got one thing. I got like a forest wizard's boogers, like over the fourteen dwarfs singing for an hour and a half. Jesus, I was so ready. Maybe I'm just primed. Was I wrong? Well, Kelly Wand, here's my problem with it. Diggis, I'm sorry to, to jump in, but it, it touches on my point about you have so many different kinds of characters in Lord of the Rings. Radagast is just another little bumbling person. Like, why couldn't they do something? I, I know that character. I've seen different representations of him in that uh, Lord of the Rings online game. I, I've, you know, I, I, I know who this guy is from contact with, like, Lord of the Rings properties. And I've seen different ways he's been done. Why does he have to be another little bumbling person? Uh, no, he did martial arts on the what's his name on the Nazgul guy. Got his sword from him by using his forest wits, street forest wits. From the necromancer? Yeah, yeah. We, we don't even see that. <laughs> why do? No, why for do a second, and he's in the graveyard. Isn't he? Get the? Isn't he the one who brings the thing? They don't know it's the. Ah, fuck it. Don't <laughs> Diggis, What were you going to say? What? what <laughs> Diggis, what's your problem with Radagast? <laughs> Why do you hate? Why do you hate guys who uh, ride rabbit sleighs? That's you why. That's why sprinting rabbits. Really? <laughs> I mean, what what is the tone of this movie supposed to be? I mean, when you watch uh, Lord of the Rings, th- those movies, you understand the tone. And I and I I guess it, the Hobbit is. I haven't read the Hobbit novel in a long time. I don't know if it's more whimsical, and I really couldn't care less. I just know that the other three movies have set up a certain tone for us that I expect. And then I go into this, and it's a bunch of gags and a bunch of stupid things about, hey, are they going to have chips? Uh, And other stupid lines, and then a guy with sprinting rabbits running around (laughs) acting goofy while gigantic wolves chase him. And, And I know when stone giants are throwing rocks at each other that nobody's in danger. None of these dwarves are going to die. They're going to get slammed into the rocks. As Kelly Wan said, they're going to fall thousands of feet. And that somebody's going to make a joke. And somebody's going to go, really? When a goblin falls on them or whatever. It's just going to be a bunch of dumb gags. Nobody's ever going to be in danger. What's the tone of this movie supposed to be? Am I supposed to care or is it all, is it silly? What, what's going on here? So a dude in a sleigh dragged along by super speedy rabbits, really not working for me. And it's all to set up for Saruman to be a drug scold. I mean, that's all <laughs> Saruman is in these movies. You know, you you smoke the pipe too much later on, and now he smoke he he. he but he's on the deepest drug. That's the thing. He's oh. on the hardest drug of all, bro. 
So Radagast, I could have I could have done without so many things in this movie, and I shouldn't be thinking that. I, I mean, I and it's not just because I know these things aren't in the Hobbit book, no matter how long ago I read it. That I'm sure he's gleaning them from somewhere else. It's just padding for later movies, and I don't care. I, I you know, I'm sitting there just looking at my watch. It's a it's a long movie, yeah. Uh, Dingus, here's the titles. here's the tone for you, Dingus. Uh, there is a Wilhelm scream in the Goblin Town fight. That's the tone for you right there. Peter right. Jackson's going to put a fun little Wilhelm scream in there. Oh, and the 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 Goblin King dying. What's his last line? Like, oh, I guess that'll do it. That'll do her. <laughs> that'll that's do not you. a gag, Dingus. That's right from the book. That's like from Beowulf too. Even I think it's a direct quote. Oh yeah, Dingus. <laughs> Well, that, you, you know, don't respect uh, the origins of the English etymology. The thing is, I know that a lot of the gags are from the book, like that joke about golf. I know those things are from the book. But, but I don't care because I think that he set up a certain tone in the Lord of the Rings movies. Right. And I don't know what he's doing with the tone in this. I don't know what I'm supposed to think. And none of these people are in danger. So I just don't really care about them because, as you guys have said, the pacing is horrid. Here's where the tone started. Here's where I gave up on that. Like, I I was thinking maybe, okay, it's just going to be lighthearted and fun, and then it'll slowly start to transform. Uh, the fact that we – the the riddle scene with Gollum, I, I thought, okay, now we're going to have to – we're going to get a sense of menace or uh, danger or something. And there wasn't any there. Like, I never thought uh, – that, that scene – I'm pretty sure it was almost word for word from the book. Like, I don't think there was any, if I'm not mistaken, weren't all those riddles the one that they did in the book? Um, and I, I didn't, that, that scene just fell flat for me, even. And maybe just because I was so not into the movie by that point, um, and because I'd just seen so much of Gollum, and I'd seen some of the great stuff that Andy Serkis did with showing how crazy he was, maybe that felt like they didn't need to reintroduce that or, or, or play with that anymore. But all of that fell flat for me as well. And that was where I was thinking, okay, now it's going to get, now it's going to really pick up. And it, it didn't. Um, <laughs> that's like the last 10 minutes. Well, they go from there. Yeah, you're right. That it, well, no, you know, the, no. the last, they have the big long set piece with the flaming pine cones and stuff. Uh, I forgot about that. Uh, and that again, it's that just so contrived and, and goofy. Mm-hmm. You know, let's go out on this big long cliff, and we're going to be on the last tree, and it's going to be fallen, and oh, there's oh, there's a guy falling, and oh, he's got Gandalf's staff, and the other guy's hanging from his foot, and that was just so drawn out and tedious. And and the thing is, like, this is the Peter Jackson that did that awful Brontosaurus rodeo in in King Kong, who just relies on CG. That I thought would looked awful. It looks terrible. And and there's no good staging in it is the thing. I mean, it, it's not. We've talked before about like that awful tin tin stuff. And there's no, you know, you can be animated and have really good action sequences. Uh, and you, you know, even Tangled or Brave, uh, you know, just because you're using CG, just because you're animated, doesn't mean you're excused from doing cool, good, meaningful choreography. And there's none of that here. It's just all just cartoon flesh rolling around, just like those brontosaurus. No sense of stakes, no sense of choreography. Uh, so even that and last the, sequence. Yeah, go ahead, Kelly. The frame rate and the fact that you have all 13 characters looking like Christmas tree ornaments all makes it look worse. Like So I only saw – I saw the 2D. Uh, I didn't want to – I had no desire to see this in 3D. I didn't have any desire to really see any uh, 48 frames per second. So did you guys see the high frame rate and, and how did it look? It looked toy-like and gave me a headache. But it was, 
it wasn't boring. It was just perplexing. Like you couldn't see why things were happening any better. It seemed more confusing. The CG, you mean? Uh, yeah. Or, or just okay. Now, what what about however the the higher frame rate? So, Dingus, you saw it though in the the higher frame rate, right? Yeah. And and uh, did it add anything? Did it? What was the problem with it? Well, I think it adds too much. Um, and I, and I've I've trying to I've been trying to study up on on why this is because I mean we all understand when you watch something at this high a frame rate, uh, and I don't know why they're bothering to do this. It it. It changes the emotional connection you have with how you watch movies, or at least it does. I think it does for a lot of people, but I know it does for me. So when you, and I don't know if this is because of my age or because of my my experience watching movies and watching film. Um, watching movies on film, or even a representation of movies on film at twenty four, most of them are twenty four. You 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 get a certain sense of what a movie is supposed to look and feel like. 48 frames does something else. It feels like videotape. It feels like a soap opera. In some cases, it feels like you're watching animation from a video game, even, I guess. Um, it looks hyper-real, or it looks too real in a way. Mm-hmm. And so I've been wrestling with and trying to read up on why why... Why is this? Why is this happening? Why is there an emotional connection with one and a detachment for the other? And, and, and is part of it that your mind has to fill in the blanks, and there's a warmth that happens there? Is there emotional connection? I don't know what it is, but I know that watching the 48 was annoying to me because I went back and watched Fellowship this week, and the way Rivendell looks in that, when they look at it from a distance, it looks real. Yeah. The, the people look real. When Arwen is uh, is racing toward Rivendell on the horse going through the going through the woods going on that dusty road it looks it looks real and it has texture and when the action is happening in this when when Bilbo first sees Rivendell in this it looks like a postcard it doesn't it it looks very very pretty all those things look pretty and but it looks more like a Coruscant than it looks like Rivendell did in the in the in the in the movie and I and I I just, I don't buy it. I don't know why they're trying to improve it by making it not look like film. So I don't, I, I, having not seen the 48 frames per second, having seen the regular 24 frames per second, regular 2D, uh, I kind of am, I, I want to suggest that maybe it's not the 48 frames per second because we've adjusted to the difference between like film and digital video over the years. And I can see some things in film, some things in digital video. Uh, I can sort of appreciate how one looks different from the other, how there might be a different sense of emotional connection, uh, all that stuff I can understand. But, but having seen The Hobbit in 24 frames normal per second, I still think that the CG looked terrible. Um, and I, I'm not normally a big critic of that, but just the quality. It, and I don't know if it was a matter of like weird flat lighting or if it was some of the production values where it looked more like a Ren Fair. Um, some of it just looked really like cheesy and 80s to me. The Shire just, I didn't remember it just looking so perfunctory, like a back lot. I, right. I really feel that the problem here was bad CG, bad lighting, bad production values. Uh, and, and having not, and I think that even having not seen it in the 48 frames per second, um, so I, I I don't know what was going on. Like I don't I I can't understand anyone maybe thinking this, this movie looked good. It didn't. Those wargs, for instance, they looked like cartoons plopped into the live action. I mean, how, did that look good to anyone? 
Uh, I don't think anything looks good in this movie. And what's mystifying to me, and we've talked about this before, about how, like with The Dark Knight Rises, how can the same group of people so horribly fail? Because you'd think they've got everything in place. They They did three of these things. Over a huge amount of time, can't you just crank up the machine and, and at least make it look right? Because they looks, were still working on it last week. Like, it, it looks uh, terrible. All of it. Is there is there a single thing that looks good? I mean, from that moment where the dragon attacks to to the eagles leave, any of the anything, none of it looks good. Yeah, uh, I can't. I couldn't help but reminisce about Snow White and the Huntsman in comparison. Exactly. Where they they were more than happy to use like, like filters and different lighting and this these sort of techniques. I believe the guy was a commercial director. He used techniques that that you use for stylish commercials, and it looked great. I mean, how much flavor and atmosphere was in that movie versus how flat everything was here. Kelly, one you mentioned they were working on this last week. Um, it was a pretty notoriously troubled project, and it makes me wonder how much that's a factor as well, because this was a Guillermo del Toro movie for quite a while. Uh, and then with I think because of some of the problems with MGM, he backed out. I, I, he's still listed as a writer. I don't know how involved he was. Um, Just but, being around that shit wears you out, too. Yeah, like by yeah. that time, if you look at pictures of Peter Jackson now and how he looked when he was filming even Lord of the Rings, it's been a long decade you know, for that poor guy. Well, well, Peter Jackson went through a huge protracted lawsuit with with uh, yeah, yeah. Line, right. uh, to get money, and then they went <laughs> through this, all these legal difficulties with getting the rights to The Hobbit and how, who's going to make it and delays in production. So you're right; it must have been a slog. But they wanted people wanted to get it done, and I don't understand why it looks terrible. But. I kind of agree with Tom that the problems were there from the beginning. Like, they had Tolkien. Tolkien was going to go back and redo The Hobbit and update it so the tone was more like Lord of the Rings. Then he gave up after writing three chapters of it because he just saw, it's not, (laughs) this isn't happening. It's just too dumb. So it's like he was smarter than all these money. Well, it wasn't like an intelligence decision. Well, I don't mean this as a criticism, but The Hobbit is really a slight story. Uh, yeah. it, 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 that's all it was meant to be when he wrote it. Right, right. And it's it's sheer folly to draw this out into three movies. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't care less about where they're going to go. I, I have no sense of, like, like I have no interest in... I, I think a big... They think that a big draw is going to be, oh, you're finally going to get to see Smog. And you know what? I, I couldn't care less. I, I saw no design stuff in here that makes me want to see, well, what's the dragon going to look like? Uh, I, I, well, you know what's going to happen, too. It's not going to be... It's not going to be as awesome as a guy slipping off a ledge and falling in a lava with a ring in his hand. <laughs> uh, here, here's a question. Um, I think we, we're we all uh, fans of Martin Freeman. Um, or at least I know that, uh, that, Tom, you've seen the original Office. You made me watch it. Um, I really like that guy. Uh, what did you think of him here? About as much as he could do with Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. <laughs> I mean, the poor guy gets gets thrown into these big projects that fall flat, and uh, you know what, what's what's he going to do? He's he's reading his lines and he's convincing enough. But uh, the thing is, I don't I don't know that like there are obviously supposed to be story beats here where he changes his mind and catches up with the dwarves where he uh, decides he's going to leave and you know he has a change of heart and decides he's not up to it or where he leaps to the defense of Thorin, Oak and Shield, whatever 
I, I, I don't. None of that stuff was there. I mean, none of that stuff. I, I could see the, that the movie intended those things to be there, but none of it felt earned. I didn't feel. I, I wasn't convinced of any of it. Um, I just kind of felt sorry for Martin Freeman. Uh, I, I felt the same way, and and I've used this word before. I, I you know, I, I've talked about actors being sort of betrayed by a director. Um, I. Again, this is this goes to the root of my question of tone, and Kelly sort of answered it a little bit a moment ago when he talked about rewriting The Hobbit. Um, but he's just mugging; he's constantly mugging. <laughs> the office <laughs> cracked up. <but. laughs> Although I was kind of light, I have to admit, it was kind of like by that time I was sort of not enjoying the movie enough to where I was kind of enjoying the idea that it was the office character in this adventure. And I was kind of like enjoying Martin Freeman's mugging. Like, at least I get what he's doing, and it's funny to me. He's mugging a golem. He's doing it like in the like after he falls down pits and like fights battles. He's doing it. Uh, no, from the moment you see him in his hole, he's mugging. I mean, it's, it's weird. I don't know what's going on with with the uh, with the direction of actors in this because between him mugging and the ten thousand meaningful looks of Thorin, I don't know what the hell to do with the actors. <laughs> but that's all they have. What else are they gonna do? It's I don't know. Well, you can see sure, Kelly yeah. Wand, like for instance, the troll scene where the trolls capture them, uh, and if I recall correctly, the idea and they they. They hint at this, but you don't see it. The idea is that Bilbo realizes, oh, I've just got to hold out long enough for the sun to come out, and then I will. Save. Yeah, I mean, he's smart. He makes a decision. He's going to save them. I The way the, the scene was shot is I don't know how much of it was an accident, how much of it was Gandalf, like, cracking that rock open. Uh, and, and later on, Gandalf then has to tell the audience, oh, yeah, here's what Bilbo was doing. You know, he was saving the day. There's nothing, it's not... And how do you know that if he was there back then? Never mind. Right, right, exactly. I mean, it's just, it's so poorly constructed. The, the novel gives you, the story gives you a cool character bit. You know, Bilbo's smart enough to think on his feet and to know how to trick these trolls. And then the, the movie's too incompetent to even express this, I feel. Uh, what about when uh, Thorin goes, I can't be responsible for his life or his fate? And it's you're supposed to go. Oh, it's like it's a prequel. We know he lives until <laughs> the end of the fucking Lord of the Rings. Yeah, uh, there was not a single sequence of flashbacks or uh, flash sidewayses or anything that I thought would not have been better served by just having Ian McKellen tell us. Say it. Yeah, <laughs> just or Galadriel's. I mean, honestly, right, right, exactly. I, did, I didn't, I didn't need Frodo in the movie. I, I oh, God, those that. bookends. What were? I thought what? Legolas was supposed to be on it and shoot some. It was almost a parody when it went sixty years earlier. <laughs> did you do that just for me? Uh, Why does Gandalf, by the way, keep calling them fools? Because they're idiots. Well, in this case, it worked, right? He always he ever, fool of a Turk. He everyone's a fool next to him. He says in 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 a. In Fellowship, he says, fly, you fools. Well, I know. Just, and that's like a great line. It's heartbreaking because he, yeah. he knows he's about to die. <laughs> so well, I guess he does have the fool of a took thing. But uh, I just I feel like that moment should be special. Quit saying over here this way, you fools. I'm like, don't, yeah, don't reference fly, you fool. Don't do that. That's a way better scene. And it doesn't hold up when you're ushering a bunch of stupid dwarves into a cave. Uh, <laughs> that's his catchphrase. That's his I'll be tough. <laughs> I think if you showed Ancient Man this movie, and then he, he'd go, okay, you can have this, or you can just keep looking at constellations, he'd pick the constellations. One, two, three, not only you and me, one, eight, 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 three, one, I'm cold.
I don't know if that was all right. <laughs> Dylan, well, you can't deny the the wisdom of ancient man. I think uh, you've invoked it. Just go backwards. But they only work twenty hours a week. And look what we're doing for ninety hours a week. Peter Jackson. It's, it's like life expectancy is half a caveman. Well, let's do a three by three. <laughs> Dingus, I'll bet you're glad there were no tents in uh, The Hobbit. Uh, I was very relieved at that, yes. Camp in the open. So it would not be eligible for this week's 3x3, three three, which is what, Dingus? Uh, your favorite uh, tents in movies, your favorite uses of tents in motion pictures. And tense meaning like past tense, present tense, future tense? Mm, yeah. Cool. Well, I was talking about past perfect, future perfect, really. <laughs> okay, just don't bring any of that pluperfect into this. Well, I wouldn't. Uh, okay, so tent scenes. Uh, Kelly Wand, you will be introducing next week's 3x3, three three, so why don't you start us off? What is your number three choice for a favorite tent scene? My number three favorite tent is from uh, In Spy Who Shagged Me, when his shadow was like his butt, and she, Heather Graham like pretended it was a bottle opener and like drank Coke from it. Kelly Wand, you've stolen my number three. Really? Yeah, I love that scene. I, I'm a sucker for when for uh, those those Austin Powers movies. I'm afraid, uh, and I just think that's a great example of just this, the level of sophomoric humor, and it's effective. You know, it's that gag. It doesn't even have to be a tent, but it's that gag where people are behind a screen, so you don't see any of the depth. Everything looks 2D, so their henchmen are creeping up, and hey, it looks like Heather Graham is pulling an umbrella out of shooting a bird's butt. Too, yeah, yeah, right, and. <laughs> It was good writing and good timing on the actors. Exactly. Yeah, Heather Graham is so she's she's funny. She's funny. She do more comedies. I yeah. think she's in Hangover Three, and I remember being bummed when she wasn't going to be in the second one. Like that's going to suck. And then... Good. I think they need that. They need a little Heather Graham, don't they? Uh, yeah, all right. So little. Wait, Kelly Wan, you stole my uh, my number three ten. Sorry, jerk. Mm. All right. Well, Dingus, that means it's over to you. What do you have for your number three ten scene? Well, that was fast. <laughs> that's what's gonna happen. Uh, that's what it's gonna keep stealing my picks. Yeah. Constellation. Uh, well, um, one of the things I don't really even remember what you're talking about. Uh, was it tent scene? Really? Yeah. How can you not remember the tent scene from the second Austin Powers movie? We all know where. <laughs> it's like saying you don't remember when uh, Jason Patrick turned the crank in Speed Cruise Control. That's kind of a famous scene, though. I mean, as soon as Dingus said tent, I thought of that. How, how could you not remember that? I don't know because I don't remember those movies. They kind of were like a laxative. They just go right through. See, she. Ah, I see what he did. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Also, where Mike Myers has to turn around the little golf cart. Do you remember that scene? Uh, Yes, of course. That's the 14 point or whatever. Yeah, that's the funniest moment in that movie. Well, remember you remember uh, uh, the Doctor Evil stuff, the zip it things to uh, Seth Green. You remember those? Yes. How can you remember those things and not remember the tent scene? Dingus, you're, you've, you've watched them wrong. Go back and do it over. Because those are funny? Oh, uh, no. Well, here's the problem with what you're, um, what you're talking about. Uh, uh, the problem is that you, that you, you started, Tom, by saying it didn't even have to take place in a tent, and then you went on to talk about the gag. 
Well, because you can do it behind a sheet. If you have a reason to have a sheet hanging in front of a light, and then people are standing between the sheet and the light so that it casts their shadow up there. It but, was the fact that they had all those things in a small tent, like a bottle opener, no, no, a gerbil. That, that's cool. Uh, where, <laughs> that's why, why were they in a tent? I don't remember. Oh, because they were going to raid Dr. Evil's like uh, lair. lair, right, and they had to camp out on the way. And then the henchmen watch for ten minutes while they do butt jokes, right. <laughs> which is yeah. funny. Because you need an audience for that thing, Kelly Wan. There has to be someone watching from you, it's you know, gerbil, the shadow. It's yeah. bottle opener. The bug bomb, a rope, an umbrella. Yeah, um, the umbrella's oh, good. A pterodactyl, yep. a hat. That's um, um, goes goes straight hates. He fucking yeah. hates. Yeah. Uh, no, well, well, the, part of the thing is that I really tried to, to look at, at ten scenes that they have to take place in that. that there's a reason that it's in a tent and not in a room or behind a scrim or whatever. But uh, but I just don't remember that scene, and that's on me. Well, Dingus, uh, Google it. A tent's just a fabric room. So, <laughs> uh, Kelly Wan, would you edit Wikipedia for us, please? Uh, how dare you? All right, well, Dingus, then what is your number three pick where a tent is more crucial than it was yeah. in Spy Who Shagged Me? Mr. 3 by 3 police officer. That's right. Tent police. <laughs> All right, here's a quote from it. If he returns tomorrow, I will call him Two Socks. Oh, it's got to be Another one of those, yeah, Dances with Wolves. He's, it's either Dances with Wolves or Midnight Run every week with this guy. But socks aren't in Westerns. Wait. Every week, every week with this guy. And first yeah, of all, it's, it's not a tent; it's a wigwam or a teepee. It sounds like That's apocalypto. Right. Yes, it is me. definitely a teepee. And what is a teepee? It's a wigwam. It's a Lakota home for a. Uh, it's a Lakota name for a conical tent, traditionally made of animal skins and wooden poles, made used by tribes in the Great Plains. <laughs> Someone's been on Wikipedia. All right, all right, all right. suck it. <laughs> You take out your bucket and you suck it. Oh. Uh, all right. So the the actual scene it, it's a specific scene in the tent, and uh, it's when John Dunbar, uh, played by Kevin Costner, as we all know because we've watched Dance with Wolves so many times together, um, is 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 uh, staying with his friend um, Kicking Bird. Uh, it's God. That's not somebody's name in Dances with Wolves. What Wolf. was the semen's name in Hunt for Red October? Again. <laughs> Seaman Beaumont. Beaumont! Yes! I don't know why I'm so stoked to hear that. I just am. Seaman <laughs> Beaumont. That was so good. Sorry. Okay, Wigwam. Here we go. Did you just troll me? All right, so anyway, uh, Kicking Bird is, is, is um, the whole family is in this tent, and they're all sleeping because it's nighttime, and they're all sleeping, and Kevin Costner is their guest. And uh, Kevin Costner is, is falling in love with uh, Stands with a Fist. Somebody else's name, Tom. Um, Tom. And she's she, she's. Is that the other way around? Sorry, she's sleeping on the floor over there. Uh, and Kevin Costner's really sad, and and he looks up, and the couple, uh, Kicking Bird and his wife, are making love under their little blanket. And and you the shot cuts to the kids over there in the corner, and it goes back to him, and it goes back to stands with a fist, whose back is to him, and we presume is asleep. And it's just this family in this one room, in this one tent, because that's what they had to do when they were hunting, and when they were nomadic, they had to be in these teepees or these tents. And the the couple is making love there, in the middle of this whole 
group of people. And it's such a difference from the way we view privacy today and the way uh, we view what's proper sexually. And uh, I just I'm so taken by that scene and, and how uh, how much that affects him emotionally and how he's he's lost in this reverie almost. And when he looks up, the two of them, the couple are looking at him like, what are you doing? Why are you looking at us? And he then lies back down, and you realize that the woman he's in love with, but he's not allowed to be with yet because she's still in mourning for her dead husband, um, is also awake because there's this wonderful, weird sexual tension in this little room because this couple is, is making love and this other couple can't. And I just love the way this is all just mashed together and uh, and it, it, it has to take place in tent because that's what the culture was. I really like that. Kelly, have you ever been in a situation like that on a camping trip? Uh, it was a longhouse, a Viking longhouse, which is a wooden tent. <laughs> Kelly, what is your number two pick for a favorite scene in a tent? Wait, you're, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. so this is going to be your number two if we keep going? Uh, you are before me. You're introducing next week's, so you go first. Uh, my number two is uh, the one in Moonrise Kingdom? Because you like... Oh, dadgummit! Oh, you jerk. You didn't steal mine, but I'm wishing I used this now. Nice work. Which I hope one? you stole... I hope you... St- oh, well, yeah, which one, Wand? The one that he breaks out of at the beginning. Which one did you think? The one, oh. the one, you, you, the one you want. Whichever one you want. <laughs> I was thinking oh, of Bill the, Murray the, lifting um, the tent up uh, and unveiling the children before everyone. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> but you're talking about the, um, the Rita Hayworth gag, then. Yeah. I like gags and jokes. I like Shawshank. Right, cool. I don't understand what Tom's talking about. That's just that could have been anything. I totally forgot the one you're talking about and was only thinking about the one later when they are camping as a as a couple on the lamb. A tent's more than just a thing to have sex in. Mm, I disagree. All right. <laughs> All right. Uh, my number two pick. I want to change mine now. I, I have another one. I'm not going to change. I'm just going to stick with originally what I had. Uh, <laughs> Because now I want to. Well, you're like Thorin. I'm going to put this. The last. <laughs> I'm going to put this on my runner-up. Uh, all right, my number two pick is an awful movie, uh, but I'm glad that I got some use out of this movie because it does have a cool scene in a tent. Um, there's a crappy horror movie that came out, I think, early, yeah, earlier this year called uh, the. Why are you laughing? <laughs> I don't know how you see all these things, but all right. <laughs> uh, called the apparition. Uh, starring Ashley Green, who I had no idea who she was. She's apparently some chick from the Twilight movies. I haven't seen those. It always talked me out of seeing these awesome horror movies. No, no, this one isn't awesome. So I can't steal the topic. That's what I think you do. This this horror movie is terrible. I think I might have even mentioned it before. So uh, it's it's basically about these kids do an experiment, and it summons a ghost, and the ghost ends up, like, sucking them into the wall, and they disappear. Uh, So uh, they're they're just gone. You're like, hey, what happened to, to... Bob and he's like, Maybe oh, just we, the walls haunted. We don't know. Well, here's the thing about there's a couple of cool things in the apparition. Not enough for me to recommend that anyone watches it. But what they do in the apparition. So this experiment you see in the opening of the movie, girl gets sucked into a wall, she's gone, and then we cut to a young couple moving into a house. Um, and the girl loves camping, and she wants her boyfriend to take her camping. And they're shopping. And she's like, oh, let's buy a tent and go camping. And for whatever reason, they don't do that because then they get haunted by the ghost. And like you would normally do, 
like everyone yells at, at the people in paranormal activity, leave the house. So they leave the house, but this ghost haunts them at other places. This ghost is smart enough to know that, you know, if you go to a hotel, the ghost is more than happy to haunt the hotel. Uh, like if, the you, if you sleep in a tent in the backyard one night, which they do, the ghost is happy to haunt them there. So what happens over the course of the movie is that people start getting sucked into walls or closets, and they disappear or whatever, and you find out the fiction of this is that the ghost is trying to pull people over to its side of the world or whatever. You don't know what happens to them over there. Uh, people eventually go missing, and finally at the end, Ashley Green, she's the heroine, uh, she sort of... Uh, the ghost sort of wears her down, and she she despairs. And in her despair, you discover that basically what happened is she got sucked over to the other side. So now she's in this empty world. Uh, and in this empty world, she walks to the Costco, where she and her boyfriend saw the tent that she wanted him to buy. So they go camping. <laughs> Hold on. It's not over yet. Don't laugh. This is very you, you just turned me into wanting to see it. <laughs> this is a very serious – it's a very serious – no, it's a despairing scene. She's at the depths of despair here. She's so despondent. She walks into this. It's a Costco. It is product placement. It is literally a Costco. She walks into it. She walks into the tent that they had looked at. And the world is depopulated now, by the way, and it's slightly grayer. She walks into the tent. She uh, sits inside of it, and she zips the thing closed. And unfortunately, this next scene is spoiled by the freaking poster, because then while she's sitting there and there's a tight shot on her, these creepy, dirty, gray hands start sliding around, grabbing her face and throat. Uh, and that's what's on the poster. And then the movie ends right there and the represent and the idea is that she's finally well she's finally succumbed to whatever happens to people on the dark side it gives away the last shot of the movie in the trailer and the poster just like quarantine okay yep Yep. and it's in in a costco in a in a tent in a costco yes that's the that's the product placement for costco come into our camp department and get (laughs) groped (laughs) (laughs) can you name another movie whose climax takes place in a costco uh, the watch, the watch, see. the watch. Very good. Yeah, oh. yeah. One of, the, yeah. That Rosemary, Rosemary DeWitt movie, The Watch. Yes. Oh, uh, Tom. <laughs> Dingus, what is your number two pick for? for <laughs> I can't help it. She was it's really annoying. annoying. Uh, Dingus, what's your number two pick for a, a great scene in or around a tent? Hmm. Uh, By the way, real quick, hold on. I need to clarify. Can the scene be near a tent, like in, in the location of a tent? Does, does the scene have to be inside a tent? I think it does, doesn't it? I think that was my original okay. intent. Oh, uh, uh, I like you. Uh, but if you want to, I'm not going to be. No, no, I'm fine with that. I just wanted to, I, all of mine are in tents. Right. And yeah, they're in tents. <laughs> you won't uh, get it anymore. <laughs> I foot on got it. Dingus, what's your number two? Uh, All right, here's uh, a uh, a little bit of dialogue from it. This is a one-shot thing we got going on here. It's nobody's business but ours. (laughs) Midnight run. All right, here's another quote. No, it's crossing. Ennis, just quit your hammering and get over it. Oh, see, I was going to, that's what I was wondering. yeah, is the sex scene in the tent? Uh, yeah. Uh, oh yes, it definitely is, but it's not the it's not that first sex scene I'm talking about. Um, but the first sex scene is definitely in the. Okay, we're talking about Brokeback Mountain, of course. Um, it's definitely in the tent because they they're out hanging by the campfire, 
and uh, and Jack Twist goes to sleep, and and Anna says, "No, I'm just going to stay out here." And Jack says, "You're going to freeze." And and eventually, in the middle of the night, he hears Ennis just freezing out there, and he goes, "Get get in here." And Ennis goes in and falls asleep, and then Jack wakes him up in the middle of the night, and you know they have their first sex scene, which is a real rough encounter. Things uh, are all of your uh, choices involving sex intense. Uh, they're the uh, not sex necessarily. Are these autobiographical choices? <laughs> yes, this is definitely autobiographical. Um, no, but the, the the scene that I really uh, that I'm really choosing here is the second scene um, after uh, after Ennis kind of accepts. You know, this is some this is a one time thing we got going on here. Well, what's happening up here is we're, we're falling for each other. And then in, the second scene is is him sitting there next to the fire as as Jack is undressing and getting ready for to go to sleep in the tent and Ennis sees him doing that and is sitting outside and, and decides I'm, I'm going to go in there and, and Jack then comforts him and then they, they make love again. But, um, but it, it, it has to take place in a tent because there's no other place in their world where these two characters could get together. Um, they don't, they're not going to meet at a motel. They're not, they don't have rooms in their homes where they could have a liaison. This is, this is the only chance for them at this point in their lives for them to have this encounter and and essentially fall in love with each other, and so this the second scene, that first scene is just this rough this rough sex scene that's uh, they don't even know what's going on, or at least Ennis doesn't know what's going on. He just knows this is happening, oh. and your cat totally agrees with me. <laughs> uh, but he's a big time, fan of Brokeback Mountain. It's always Dingus's number one when he does that. Um, but uh, but uh, the second scene where where Ennis goes and gets comforted. Uh, I, I love that scene. Yeah, when you were talking about uh, your Dances with the Wolves thing, I immediately thought of Brokeback Mountain, and that's what I wanted to change my answer to. But, you know, I'm glad it's on the list. I'm glad you got that one, Dingus. Because Westerns, that was your thinking? Like, oh, sex, it, no, Sex Intense. Sex Intense, yeah. Oh. You didn't think of that till. Never mind. Uh, no, because my number... The third one is just, just, just a, a really good kiss in a tent, so it's not sex. Oh, Midnight Run, definitely. Yeah. yeah All right. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, that was sex, I'm pretty sure. It's a couple people having sex with chickens, actually. What? What the? Dingus, what is that? That's like something I expect Kelly Wan to say. That's from Midnight Run. Oh, never mind. Oh, okay. She's quoting Midnight Run. Overrated. Overrated. Kelly Wan, what is your number one pick for a scene inside of a tent? I can't believe you didn't pick this one, Mr. Apparition. Well, you don't know. I've still got my number one to do, don't I? All right, then I, pick, I predict it's this. Okay. Do a dollar. Well, I can just change it. I'm not going to make that bet. Because I want to stick with my number one. You probably have stolen it. Uh, if you can beat this one, I'm impressed. Because I, uh, I don't tech. think I can. I think this is the my number one is the quintessential horror movie. Because I kept thinking of horror movies, and I'll mention some of that in my my right, runner's up. Pardon? I think I skunk you. I think I got you. Well, no, no. I think we have the same thing. I think the if you look at horror movies, like so much of. The idea of a tent when you go camping is that it's separating you, you know, when you're sleeping at night from everything. It's hostile and unknown and dark. You don't know what's out there. But a tent is just it's a thin sheet of cloth. Uh, so it's this very frail barrier between you and this vast unknown and, and whatever you're afraid of. Uh, so in so many horror movies, you have characters in tents. And my number one, and it sounds like you're going to scoop me, Kelly Wand, is I, I think the quintessential tent horror movie scene. So what, what is it, Kelly Wand? Blair Witch. 
Why are you saying it like that? It's an amazing scene. Well, because you just stole my whole thing. I was going to say, oh, <laughs> security against the darkness. And then, <laughs> well, now, was, what am I supposed to say? He just went on for 20 minutes. That's all I had written down. was Roger Luke's security against the darkness. Quintessential. Uh, yeah, I won't take your dollar, but I'll waste two minutes of your time and then introduce you to say it, even though I really just took your act and read it aloud to the crowd. <laughs> crowd. Well, Kelly Wand, what makes it better than other horror movies? Because I have a theory on this. Because it keeps getting lamer, because it's like... It's like, by the end of it, they're disappearing from inside the tent. It's like, Josh disappeared, although we now know what he went to do. He went to go have sex in the hotel with... Uh, <laughs> Anyway. With Mark Duplass. That's why he's screaming so weird. Right. And squealing. Uh, no. And then, uh, yeah, so that's why it's good, because it's like the teeth, and then it's gone, and then Josh is gone. Well, you're thinking of the progression of the movie. I'm thinking specifically of Amanda Donahue's confessional, which is the famous scene from Blair Witch Project, where she's she's sort of resigned to the fact that she's going to die, and she turns on the light and the camera, and she speaks directly into the camera. And it's, you know, it's the, it's the shot on the poster. Just like the apparition, you know, they spoil the tent scene on the poster. Uh, but she's just so good, and it's such a great example of, you know, how you make a movie like that work. Like the found footage where you're just throwing people out in the woods is you need really good, convicted actors. And, and she's so good in that movie, and it's just this raw moment of emotion that this actress provides. Uh, so I, I think that specific, that, that intent confessional is is what I'm talking about though. That's specific. I was talking about when she goes, look, see, Mike's still here. I didn't. I on the videotape, he hasn't disappeared. Like, what's his? Face? Ah, right, right, right. Okay, but whatever. You can. Li- it's still the same tent, so technically it's the same choice. So, <laughs> Good wait, point. So same that's time. your choice too, Tom. No, my choice is Amanda Donny. Am I even saying her name right? It is Donahue, isn't it, Kelly Wand? Yeah, but. Uh, my choice is her confessional. Kelly Wand, how would you characterize your choice? Uh, a fictitious scene to the end where she wakes up and the tent's gone, but then Josh is back. Uh, I don't know what Kelly Wand... So you have to remember Dingus... <laughs> Dingus is I've not seen Blair Witch Project. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, right. You, Tom hasn't seen Wizard of Oz, and I haven't seen Sound of Music. Okay, so I, I just created it's Heather Donahue. I don't know why I was calling her Amanda Donahue. That's the chick from that Oliver Reed movie where he goes to the island. Wicker Man? Oh, wait, no, that's not Oliver Reed. <laughs> uh, so there is an Amanda Donahue, so that's what I was, I was confused is about. Is it Amanda okay. Donahoe? Yes, yes, but wait, Donahue is... I is, thought it was Amanda. Anyway. Hugh. So uh, the, the actress in Blair Witch Project is Heather Donahue. I don't know who this Amanda is that I was thinking of, uh, but someone else. But anyway, it's Heather Donahue's confessional scene in Blair Witch that, that I'm picking. I still haven't quite figured out which scene Kelly Wand has chosen. Yeah, I just, the one where Josh disappears and they don't see him anymore. But just put me down for Blair Witch tent. <laughs> Let's okay, well, how many of those do you want to order? Oh, you mean to what extent? <laughs> A little fun for you. All right, so Dingus Kelly Wand has stolen two thirds of my list, uh, and, and somehow lost uh, <laughs> currency in my pocket to Tom. Some theft, but anyway, suck it. Uh, Dingus, what is your number one pick then for an, a scene in a tent? Apparently, it involves a kiss, but no sex. Mm-hmm. All right, here's here's my. Uh, uh, well, I've got a little dialogue for you guys. Mm-hmm. What are you doing in my tent? 
Just listening to some records. Aren't you supposed to be in the hospital? Oh, dadgummit, that is a tent, isn't it? That's good. Check myself out. But it's a tent inside of a house. Ah, that still counts. Dadgummit, nice, Dingus. I can't believe I missed that and Moonrise Kingdom. Uh, I entertained the idea of Moonrise Kingdom, and then I remembered um, Richie's tent up in the ballroom on the fourth floor. And I, I couldn't get that the the image of that scene. Or the, there's an earlier scene that takes place in the tent as well. But that scene at the end where Margot is in his tent listening to his records after he checks himself out of the hospital. And then he shows her his scars. And they, they're, they're I mean, the tent, what you, you guys are probably, talking about. probably mention the movie. Oh, sorry. Royal Tenenbaums. Thank you very much. Uh, yeah. The, uh, Royal Tenenbaums. That was from the year 2001, directed by Wes Anderson. Um, you guys are talking about... A robot? What was that? I was trying to do that awesome uh, Agent Smith that Kelly Wan was doing. Kelly Wan does a mean Hugo Weaving, doesn't he? Good yes. Lord. What was that? He's just, just channeling Hugo Weaving. <laughs> Must be a Canadian thing. Uh, all right. So anyway, so go ahead, Dingus. So you, uh, you. So you guys are talking about how horror films, mm-hmm. how horror movies uh, impact this idea, or like how a tent is this horror idea. And for me, I'm just, I'm really taken with the intimacy of of a tent, and how that's a different little space of time, and how Richie. Um, am I even getting? Is that what Luke Wilson's character's name is? I think so. Richie? Richie Tenenbaum? Yeah, he's taken off both of his shoes and one of his socks. Yeah, thank you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, how, you know, he's recapturing this this moment where they ran away for the winter and stayed in the African wing of the National Archives. And and uh, and he had this adventure for a year where he tried to escape her. And then he puts a tent in the ballroom and stays in there. And she's in there when he gets back from the hospital. And that's where he they profess their love for each other. And it's, amazing. it's a great kiss. I mean, it's uh but uh but um i just love that little tent there in the ballroom and it's this great wes anderson shots bright yellow tent lit from the inside uh, um none you know there's nobody's nobody's pulling uh, an under uh, an umbrella out of anybody's ass but it's just a beautiful beautiful scene so he had to get in a cheap shot at austin powers can you believe that kelly wand it's a kiss. It's not. So, it's not something like an umbrella or an ass. Just wild. <laughs> First base. Not impressive to you guys, probably. Uh, I have been on a kick recently where I have uh, been watching movies that freaked me out as a kid. Uh, I mentioned to you guys this one called Without Warning, uh, which is about the. It's like a precursor to the Predator movies. Uh, I watched one because I remembered there being a campsite ambush. And I remembered specifically a terrible event involving a sleeping bag, and I wondered if maybe a tent was involved as well. Unfortunately, it wasn't. But so I watched a movie from 79 called The uh, Prophecy. Not The Prophecy, but Prophecy. And it's about, um, who played the dad in the Brady Bunch? (laughs) Robert Evans? Wait, that's not right. Is it Robert Foxworth? Robert, oh, fuck. If it's, I'm, I thought this was the, I thought it was the dad in the Brady Bunch in this movie because the lead actor was named Robert Foxworth, and I, I don't know if that's the Brady Bunch dad, but uh, at any rate, that's not, the Falcon Crest guy. Okay, that might be my confusion. Well, at any rate, he's a, a scientist investigating this mutant bear that's murdering people out in the woods. Dingus, it's not funny. If a mutant bear stumbles on your campsite, you're not going to laugh. This mutant bear attacks a family that's camping. Robert <laughs> Reed is his name. 
Oh, I was close. I got the first name right. Uh, but the mutant bear attacks his family that's camping, and there's this one kid who's zipped up really tight in his sleeping bag where only his face, like there's a little oval showing his face, and he's got the zipper up against his chin, and he's sleeping like that. And then the bear stumbles into the campsite and is roaring and terrorizing them, and the kid stands up inside of the sleeping bag, and he's hopping away like he's in a, a costume or something. It's not funny, Kelly Wan, because he's scared and he's trying to get away from this bear. But he looks like a bear and he's not whining. Okay. Well, the bear then, the mutant bear takes a swat at him. And for the special effects, I didn't realize this as a kid, they just fill the sleeping bag with something and then throw it against a rock. And it hits the rock and explodes in a shower of feathers. Uh <laughs> That sounds terrifying. That's not funny, Tom. <laughs> As a kid, it freaked me out because you, you, you think, oh, my God, what if I was stuck in the sleeping bag? It's like and a the, blood squid. There's not, that's the thing. Is I, I, in my memory as a kid, there was like showers of blood and gore and bone, but nothing like that. It's just the feathers. They don't even put a blood squid in, in the sleeping bag. So it's like the guy who runs in with a banana and everyone remembers it as the gun. For you, exactly. That there's some blood for the things right. you mixed up. So you should. So Haiti would fuck you up for life psychologically. Haiti, it's voodoo, it's voodoo stuff. Uh, yeah, yeah. It would be very susceptible to voodoo. Yeah, uh, that's my point. So anyway, there was no tent there. There were tent scenes where the mutant bear just people run into a tent and it rips open the tent and attacks them, whatever. But uh, so that was going to be a runner up for me, but no dice. Any runner ups for you guys? Remember well, the I've mutant- got one, but should we do listeners first or runners up? Oh, uh, let's go ahead and do our runners-up, yeah, because I, I jumped in with Prophecy, so... Oh, good point. Uh, my only runner-up would be Grizzly Man, but I didn't really watch it. Well, that's also not a movie, Dingus. It's a documentary, as we all know. I never expected you to say that. <laughs> I had that listed as well, but I was going to point out that it's not a movie. It's a documentary. <laughs> yeah, Timothy Treadwell, like, in the in the... like doing the, uh, again, sort of a confessional, talking on the videotape while it's raining outside, yeah. Do you think Grizzly Adams would have been cool on a super team, or was he just too much of a maverick? My runner-up is the movie Head Trauma. <laughs> Kelly, what, I was actually considering that, though. I wasn't just ignoring you. You actually made me think. He had a bear, too, named Ben. Wasn't Ben his bear's name? I remember being freaked out as a kid by a, a one, I think, Sw- or uh, not. It, it would be the equivalent of Swiss Family Robinson, but wilderness family robinson i think where they are terrorized by a bear called two toes or ten toes or some uh-huh. some some number of toes and it's like a killer bear that's 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 uh, tracking them uh and they have to fight it uh with so what? Uh, i think their wits and their love for one another their superior number of toes <laughs> yeah, right lava always freaked me out as a kid anything with lava in it i would, would always like yeah but it'd be more exciting than fear uh uh octopuses freaked me out really i was looking for you were like a diver later yeah but they're they're not octopuses aren't scary then uh once you grow up i don't think they're scary i remember this was another thing i remember a movie where it's a ship and the ship is in fog and tentacles reach up over the what do you call the banister around a ship gunwales well, the rails, whatever, the banister. And they, they <laughs> grab a dude, and they pull him into the fog, and he's gone. And I don't remember anything else about the movie. I just remember being freaked out seeing that as a kid, and it leading me to watch various terrible movies where something like that was going to happen but didn't. Uh, I still haven't been able to find that movie. Like, no one ever finds out what happens to that guy. So it's like, he's going, what? 
it's I think every I think everybody gets killed. I don't know if the sea monster does it, but yeah, I watched another really crappy 1978 horror movie called Bermuda Triangle, thinking that was it, and it wasn't. Uh, trying to find the octopus movie? Yeah, yeah, trying to find that scene. Find it? it was just a mysterious island or whatever. Isn't that it? No, Maybe. That was... Well, it could have been one of those. A lot of giant octopus movies. Tentacles. Yeah. What was that? You made me watch with you. Tentacles does not... Right, right. But that's an, it's definitely not a scene from Tentacles. The one you subjected your sister to. But, right. by the way, Bermuda, Bermuda Triangle, like Tentacles, stars John Houston. What do you think of that? He's. A, uh, what was that movie that I made you watch? The Visitor. He's oh, my lot. God. Oh, poor it's... John Houston, yeah. Uh, that was a good one. All right, sorry, I'm derailing us. So, uh, other tent uh, runners up. So, no, Grizzly Man, not a movie, but if you were to allow documentaries, that's an excellent tent scenes in that, yeah. The Mutant Bear and Chernobyl Diaries in the van was like a tent on wheels. You've <laughs> <laughs> only been made of cloth, yeah. Uh, the there was, There were cool scenes with tent poles in No Country for Old Men. Oh, ah. very nice. Yeah, I, if I was that gonna, actually would have been really what a cool idea. If I if I'd had trouble coming up with other ones, I had that thinking like that was on that was that was I had that queued up just in case I couldn't come up with other scenes. I was just going to bring up the very that's very cool, but it has to take place in a tent. But that's that's a really cool idea. All right, all right, sporting goods. <laughs> Hotel rooms are tents, but they're made out of bricks. <laughs> uh, Dingus, what do we have from readers? Um, I was always really you, you talked about uh, afraid of uh, octopi. Yeah, yeah, I was afraid of. I was deathly afraid of spiders when I was a kid. Oh, uh, dingus! Okay, so there's a movie starring Alan Hale, I believe, and I don't remember the name of it. But what they do is they put a they take a Volkswagen Bug, and you can pretty clearly tell what kind of car it is, and they drape like spider shaped paper mache over it and huge giant legs and they drive this bug around this vw bug with this fake spider legs to get it and shoot it from the distance to show like giant spiders attacking this town uh so they kind of mileage does he see go? that <laughs> wait it's a beetle but that's six little. do you think we're gonna get web payoff in the next hobbit movie See, that's you know we've already seen everything. Like we had a Shelob scene. What can they do? Ugh, whatever. That's the thing. It's like everything but lamer. Don't get me started. Oh, that's a great tagline. Everything but lamer. <laughs> <laughs> now with even more frames per second, the human eye can appreciate. Actually, because of the the household I was grow, I grew up in, I, I you know I did my evening prayers every night, and a large portion of my prayers were please don't let spiders walk on me. <laughs> I mean, I was just so upset. I mean, a large portion. How long was the prayer? And then sixty percent was spider related. I would say a good ninety five. I didn't it's- want bugs and especially <laughs> spiders walking on or biting me. I was obsessed with that. Now, once you get in a relationship, uh, you have to be the spider killer, so you get over that pretty quick. Dingus, is it, Kelly Wand, isn't there a Wes Craven movie called, I want to say it's Deadly Friend, but I don't think that's right, where a woman is having a nightmare uh, and some hands reach out and hold her head still while a spider falls from the ceiling into her mouth? Yeah, Uh, for that one. Well, ah, fuck. I almost remember the name of it. Because it was in the preview. What was that? The not, Legacy? Oh, that Legacy might be right. I don't think it's Deadly Friend. I think you're right. You might be right. Uh, but I remember that scene. Uh, so after this one movie that I saw with Alan Hale and the giant VW bug spider, I remember being afraid to go to bed once. And 
uh, and my mother. And her and telling her, look, I'm afraid there's giant spiders out there, uh, and, you know, because kids are, can confess that kind of thing. And ideally, the parents should reassure them. But for whatever reason, my mother totally screwed up. Call the police. She said something like, uh, do you want me to, you know, do you, do you really think there's spiders? You think if I open this shade on this window, there will be a giant spider looking in the window? Like, she asked me that. Uh, she, she put that image in my head. The window, yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it just freaked me out even more. She did that on purpose, dude. I don't think she's a weird way to put, the weird way to reassure a kid. Oh, you're saying if I did this... What do you think? There's a million spiders <laughs> under your bed? Can I... Exactly. Yeah, I just remember my mother was normally very good about uh, uh, reassuring me, but that time she fumbled it. Yeah. It's such an easy thing, too. Like, giant spider should be an easy out for a mom. Like, oh, giant spider. Honey, <laughs> look, trust me, there's a giant spider there. He's fucked. And it's like, instead, she just like. That's right. I went to bed thinking he was with this image of him looking in the window, right outside my window. I don't like her. I don't like her mom. Dingus, what do you what do we have now for tent scenes from readers? Do we have any? Uh, I say readers, listeners. Uh, All right, we've got one from Paul. Uh, what did we decide? Weimer. Does the rest of his family say it? Weimer. Paul Weimer. We yeah. can alternate various. I'd be spelling it wrong. That's Canadian uh, paramedics, I think. By the way, <laughs> Canada. I thought their sirens were like weir they have these right, giant signal so, things over them with arrows, too. Like, they're higher than the police car or ambulance, whatever it is. I don't really know what it is. Continue. Paul Paul's, uh, Paul says, hi, guys. I was trying hard to hard to avoid obvious camping movies in coming up with uh, the 3x3 this week. So here are my picks. Number three, Jurassic Park, The Lost World. Yeah, not as good as the first, but camping on a dinosaur-infested island and having a T-Rex invade the tent, that's gold. That's a camping movie. Mm-hmm. Number two, uh, I believe, uh, Tom, you mentioned John Houston. Uh, so his choice is Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Ah. Mm-hmm. I recall a couple of scenes where the partners were cheating each other every time one of them goes into the tent to sack out. And then number one, uh, Brokeback Mountain, a tent big enough for two. So I'm assuming he's choosing the first or a pair of pants. <laughs> All right, so the next choice is from Scott Dobrosielski. Uh Actually, it's... Uh, hi, guys. Scott Dobros from the forums here. Best tense. Number three, Blair Witch Project. Uh, so many good tent scenes here, but I guess the best one is when they are first terrorized at night. It was just the filmmakers out there messing with them in the dark, but it was pretty scary at the time. Uh, number two would be MASH. Uh, again, another great tent movie. <laughs> I didn't think of that. Those tents yeah. are so big, though. That's yeah. I think Dingus, you might have even specified the tents. Dingus might have even specified that last week the tents had to be small. But I like his mash pick. That's good. No, no, we need too, we need more Robert Altman. Uh, it's small to a spider that's the size of a VW. <laughs> well, you know, that, that reminds me that I thought of a couple of war of war movies or large tent movies like Lawrence of Arabia has that has a couple of great. But those are those are like structures or even Henry V, the morning before the Battle of Agincourt. Mm. But I was really going for, for like, just pitching a tent. Anyway, MASH, again, another great tent movie. The Last Supper scene is an obvious choice, but I think the bloody operating scenes are better. Um, there's one in particular where a patient is just gruesomely opened up on the table, 
Wes Anderson spoke about those scenes in a commentary track somewhere. I don't remember exactly what he said, but he was inspired by Altman's inclusion of such graphic scenes in an otherwise funny movie. He thought it showed integrity. The scene in Royal Tenenbaums where Richie slices his wrist is directly inspired by those scenes from Nash. And then number one, of course, is Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, was tempted to include Moonrise Kingdom here, but Royal Tenenbaums tops it. Sorry, Kelly. Uh, Margo in Richie's tent listening to the Rolling Stones in a record player. Thank you, Scott. Uh, is not only the best tent scene in a movie, it's probably the best scene in any Wes Anderson movie. Whoa. Any Whoa movie. my editorial. Um, the way the tent is lit up from the inside of the yellow glowing against the pink walls is just amazing. Margo sitting hunched over the record player, Richie coming home and showing the scars. And then finally, the way they lay on the little cot, Margo in anguish, it just kills you. It's so good. Hey, what about the tent and Hannah? Or was that oh. like... A oh, dead gummit. Kelly Wand, good one. Uh, Where were we at the beginning of this? Uh, so Scott says, missed the cut last week, but the opening sequence in Goonies, bikes plus Cindy Lauper equals awesome. Hence, bikes are awesome. Thanks, guys. All right, and then we have one more entry. That is Jeff Sweet. Hey there, guys. I'd be very surprised if most all of these haven't already been mentioned. Um... And they have, but here goes uh, uh, Wes Anderson three for number three Moonrise Kingdom, Scoutmaster Ward's tent, complete with brandy stifter, bookshelf frame photos, and an <laughs> oil painting. <laughs> Very nice. I also love the plaid material it's made out of. Um, that's good. I like that. two Moonrise Kingdom, the little yellow tent shared by Sam and Susie, and number one Royal Tenenbaums Richie Tenenbaums tent, which he uses to camp out upstairs after moving home and is filled with tennis trophies, toy cars, and a globe, among other childhood items. Honorable mention to Prince Faisal's tent in Lords of Arabia. Very good, Jeff. Uh, I was tempted to use it as one of my three, but I thought it was a little too large. Yeah. Side note, I recently reread The Hunt for Red October. Thanks to Tom, I can't help but read <laughs> art. <laughs> Good one, Tom. <laughs> Thanks to Tom. Tom loves that book so much. I can't help but read Bart Mancuso is Bart Mancuso every time I see it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm happy to ruin Tom Clancy for anyone. Tom got I, to see the apparition, too. I think that was a collaborative. Or <laughs> Bart Mancuso. I apologize to all concerned. Tom also right. recommends the Wizard of Oz movie, by the way, and book. Uh, all right, very good. So there were our, I, we. There's a lot more cool stuff in tents than I uh, than I remembered. Well done, everyone. Kelly, one. What do you have to top that for next week? Uh, three best stammers. What? Is anything off the table? Because by golly, we just had an awesome one. Yeah, I know. Week. That's the one that kind of inspired it. That is, but, that is, yeah. So let's take that off the table because yeah, because it's too good. All right, so explain what inspired this topic, Kelly Wand. A scene in uh, there's your sister's sister where uh, I forget what he's. It's when the sister shows up, right? The sister's sister's sister shows yeah, up. Yeah. So uh, Mark Duplass has just uh, been caught in a potentially compromising situation, and he's trying to play it cool. I love the uh, how he overdoes it with the sweat and the it's a really big run you are on, uh, and and he's trying to a below job. He's trying to change the subject and ask Emily Blunt what she's doing here. <laughs> it takes about probably about 20 more syllables than it would take a normal person yeah. to say it. It's, it's a beautiful, beautiful stammer. Yeah, uh, It is an epic stammer. Yeah. 
Kelly One, this is good. I like this. Uh, this is going to take some thought. Uh, I look forward I to it. That's the only thing I can think of, so now I screwed myself. It's like a great topic, but <laughs> the worst topic. Yeah, good. All right. Uh, so join us for that. We will be seeing. Kelly One, will there be any stammering in uh, Zero Dark Thirty, do you think? <laughs> I don't know what that was, but uh, join us next week when we see Zero Dark Thirty. Uh, we will be discussing that as well as our our picks for three best stammers. I I'm, thought of a stammer. Okay, Kelly, one, keep it to yourself. Use your inside voice. I am Tom Chick. I have been joined by Christian Merlovsky. It's Christian Murawski. I don't think so. And Kelly Wand. I said things tonight. Yep. <laughs> oh. Hey. La la la. What a shock. <laughs> so predictable, Tom. Orlando Bloom. Uh, I have it. Talks to appear in the next. <laughs> I have it to hunger out. Okay, I got a candidate. You uh, go first. Okay, so uh, I was playing. There's a there's a there's a series of games that are Lego themed, and the most recent one that came out is Lego Lord of the Rings. Uh, so I'm sitting here playing it with a friend of mine, because uh, you can play all these games cooperative cooperatively. Uh, and we get to the scene where Boromir is going to get killed. Uh, and you know, one player's Boromir, the other one's Stilgar. You've got Merry and Pippin there, and you can be different. You can be different characters. You can jump around, and you're fighting all these orcs. Uh, and at one point, as you're playing, the orcs will pick up Merry or Pippin, and you know maybe it's like it's going to be like a judo throw or something. They pick them up and they're they're running off. They're like walking off the screen, and and so Boromir or Stilgar has to run over there, or Boromir or Strider has to run over there and and kill the orc so that they put down the the hobbits. And I realized, and I said this out loud, and this is a great moment. Oh, they're taking the hobbits to Isengard. <laughs> What? Because the orcs, pick, the orcs pick up Merry or Pippin and they try to carry them off of the screen. Yeah. Uh, why would you I, say I where this... they're going? Because they're taking the hobbits to eyes and go. Yeah, Kelly. Oh, just quoting the movie. All right. Right? Is no, there well, you, there's, you obviously are not privy to this YouTube sensation, Kelly Wand. They're taking the hobbits to Isengard. I recommend you you Google it. Oh, I'm not. <laughs> so it's a meme. Yep. It's a meme, yes, Kelly. It's a meme that apparently left you behind. Yes. Uh, uh, so, Kelly, what is your Tahunga dote? Oh, uh, I walked in the omnipresent Vancouver rain to the mall last night just for food, and the escalator was broken, and this old man with a broad-brimmed hat and a cane, like Santa or Gandalf, like slowly shambling onto the bottom step of the non-working escalator ahead of me. So I'm like, Ugh. so I sigh and I step in behind him. And he's taken up the whole space, so I can't squeeze around him, which is kind of customary with old Vancouver residents. So I sigh, and I wait, and I notice he's not even walking. He's just standing there, and there's trash on the escalator. And he just takes his cane, and without looking back, he just, like, flicks this crumpled, dirty styrofoam cup with his cane. It, like, bounces off my chest. <laughs> Fuck that guy. He's an asshole. <laughs> Crippled asshole. So I walk to another mall in Calgary. That's my candidate. So Kelly Wan driven away by an old man flinging trash. Yeah. <laughs> it's better magic than Gandalf, dude. <laughs> no pine cones were, were involved, I imagine. Hate this country. Fuck Christmas. Old men. Everything. It's all bad. La 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 la. Great <laughs> 
Oh, now I get it. <laughs> Kelly, if you never ever need my help, I will come. Ew. 